Blog Talk Radio. Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
grandfather and your white great grandfather sold my great grandfather and your white grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come my friend to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave.
continues today. We welcome you to Africa on the Move on the 19th day of March 2023. Our theme tonight is sports, capitalism, and race. Yes, we're going to discuss that theme tonight, and we invite you to join us. But like always, you are listening to Africa on the Move. As always, we're going to speak the truth to the powerless and the powerful. We're in the seat, we're going to take the heat, because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We want you to call in at 323-679-0841. If you have any views, comments, or any particular perspective that you would like to share, as we discuss various issues that are affecting our communities. Like always on Africa on the Moon, we're going to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. The order for today's program will entail what's going on in your world and community, followed by a discussion on the theme, sports, capitalism, and race. So at this point in time, as your host, Brother Africa, like always, let's get started on this party and continue to travel down this road of liberation. We first and foremost would like to welcome our brother Haki, who is the organizer for the African Awareness Association. We're going to bring him in right now and say welcome, brother Haki, to Africa on the move. Uh, brother Africa, uh, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamasi Mishoki. <coughs> Currently, I'm with African Awareness, but you know, brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution building. But one of the things I think, you know, even prior to real discussions around institution building, there are certain kinds of intimacies in, in relation to this economy that we have to be aware of. And one of the things in terms of understanding how this society works, or particularly the economic system works, uh, often um, the facts are presented in a way in which it's done to obscure the fact or the reality in terms of what's really going on. So as a and so as a result, a lot of people, a lot of times, we don't get an adequate understanding in terms of precisely, you know, what's really going on and why it's going on. So I thought tonight I'd talk a little bit about the function of interest rates because I think it's important as much discourse in the news and other places around this question in terms of rising interest rates. And it's very interesting that they are seeking to blame interest rates for for the decline of capitalism when in fact interest rate is but one facet of capitalism that contributes to its decline. So I thought I'd just sort of illuminate a little bit in terms of this whole question on interest rate and hope that people would would, would, would appreciate, you know, just my analysis in terms of this whole question on interest rates. But in event, Brother Africa, check this out. Now, talks of interest rate increases being devastating to the economy lies a history of rate increases that do not incite fanfare. Anger at the Federal Reserve rate inc- interest rate increases seems misplaced for a couple of reasons. One, Interest rates on treasuries, what we're talking about, bills, notes, or bonds, 
fluctuate according to the demand. Suggesting there will be no buyers of treasuries suggests investors do not know how the bond market operates. Yields or earnings of treasuries affects interest rates, and despite the Federal Reserve interest rate hikes, laws of supply and demand persist. Secondly, arriving at the most effective interest rates to control inflation or cool the economy, when I say cool the economy, I'm talking about uh, too many people got jobs. This is not a science. In the 1960s, interest rate increases under the guise of federal funds rate saw rates of banks lending to each other at 7.15% from 9%. Compared to current interest rates of 4.5%, one is hard-pressed to understand the indignation of pundits decline rate increases at a time of unprecedented wealth in the U.S. economy. One of those pundits or experts, Stephanie Pomboy, proclaimed, quote, you don't raise rates in record fashion on an economy toting record leverage or borrowing and maximum speculation and expect no consequences, end quote. Ironically, borrowing for capitalists is like what water is to fish. Speculation, a facet of capitalism, has less to do with interest rate increases and more to do with maximizing wealth. It is fascinating how pundits forget the financialization of the economy during the Reagan era and the speculation freefall excuse me, speculative freefall that ensued resulted in millionaires' earnings far outpacing the earnings of 99% of the population. This feat was possible because of speculation. One of the advantages of higher interest rates is a prohibitive factor slowing speculation because the returns of profits are not as high. Now, concerns over high interest rates' impact on banks is reasonable, but the structural anomalies represents bigger problems. Historical fixes to make banks more accountable have failed, largely due to banks' mission to maximize profits for its shareholders and its investors. Policies like Glass-Steagall Act, which sought to end banks' practices of using depository, depositors' money for risky investments, were, replaced, were repealed by President Clinton, while Dodd-Frank's Act utilized stress tests for banks to, ex, to assess financial stability of banks with assets over $250 billion, specifically to ensure bank deposits, would, bank deposits would be available to customers upon demand were upended. Needless to say, Trump rolled back Dodd-Frank, and the business as usual returned. Now, these measures in no small, no, no small part were defeated by interest provided by the Federal Reserve under the Federal Reserve, disc, by the Federal Reserve. Under the Federal Reserve discount window, window banks can lend Federal Reserve money overnight and receive excuse me, interest based on discount rate assessed by the Federal Open Market Committee. Interest received by banks is not to acknowledge efficiency of banks in facilitating community development projects or access to loans for working people, but in part a rubber star process to provide banks with liquidity and furtherance of bank loans to the well-to-do. It's precisely this process rewarding capital to commercial banks without oversight that has resulted in numerous zombie banks essentially insolvent that operates courtesy of interest rate increases to account for insolvent banks. Now, the impact of insolvent banks on the Federal Reserve has been demonstrative. Recently, a report stated the Federal Reserve suspended its 10% reserve requirement for banks. Assuming this report is accurate, the level of currency or liquidity in the economic system will decline, contributing to more inflation relative interest rate increases. Inflation will not only increase but likely to persist. Given historically, monetary policy and fiscal policy have been tools to fight inflation, how will the economy respond to both increases in financial liquidity and interest rate parameters can only, that can only increase given decreases in liquidity 
which will only exacerbate the declining economy in part due to sanctions, blockades, and economic sabotage. Stated another way, Federal Reserve requires commercial banks post 10% of their operating budgets to ensure solvency of banks, but also encourages banks to lend more. If reserve requirements are eliminated, it will free banks to lend more money, which would encourage more invest, risk investments, but it will also encourage more speculation both among banks and the wealth, wealthy, driving up asset prices and more inflation. With more speculation, the level of money in circulation decline, given tax shelters, offshore accounts, etc. Add this problem to sanctions, blockades, interest rates will increase because the reduced velocity of money in the economy and the government need of taxes for revenue declines, resulting in, in inflation. Now, the structural limitations of capitalism are never explored. Instead, we are told interest rate increases by the Federal Reserve is the corporate and the lowering rates would improve the economy. Note, when they talk about improving the economy, it's a euphemism for an increased investment opportunities for the very, very wealthy. <clears throat> Nothing of rates, <clears throat> notion of rate increases as the issue, and nothing could be further from the truth. The real corporates, structural limitation of capitalism, are disregarded and an acceptable scapegoat is presented to obscure history. Reality is, interest rates origins have existed throughout history for two reasons, two reasons only. One, government revenues, and two, the enrichment of the large asset holders. It can be argued with the rise of financial elites, the latter group, the capitalists, holds more sway over economic affairs in the U.S. Starting in the 50s to the 1960s, interest rates contributed significantly to corporate investments to the tune of 10 to 15 percent of corporate earnings. By 1980s, 30 percent. In 2001, interest rate contributions to corporate earnings was 40 percent. Putting these numbers into perspective, 40 percent of earnings represented four times the profit of all U.S. manufacturers. In other words, much more profitable for investments as opposed to producing anything. And this is a struggle that we're confronted with here in American society, as well as throughout the world. Against this backdrop, it is easy to understand the decline of three banks in the U.S. over the last week. Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, and Signature Banks have all gone under, triggering a possible run on banks here and abroad. We can buy fractional banking, or fractional banking is actually when you use your money for investments, as opposed to putting, leaving the money on the books in case you need it in the future. The subsequent interest rate increases in 2022 does not seem to be responsible for Silicon Valley Bank's or other banks' demise. The eight consecutive interest rate hikes starting in 2022 were as follows. Three-quarters three interest rate increase, a one-half point interest rate increase, which was done three times in 2022. In February 2023, a quarter point interest rate increase, and they're talking about an additional uh, quarter point interest rate increase uh, currently. Interestingly, uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank has been around since 1983, Silvergate Bank since 1988, and Signature Bank around since 1999. And given the cumulative rate increase of 15% is not new, so why the panic? These interest rate hikes, all eight of them, resulted in federal funds rates, or federal funds rates is a rate in which banks borrow from one another overnight, of reaching 4.5%. But if we go back to 1981, federal funds rates reached 20% as a result of interest rate increases. Despite federal funds interest rates of 20% in 1981, resulting from two recessions in a three-year period, the stock market and inflation showed improvement with GDP increases led by increased employment and consumerism. Conservatives credit Reagan with an improved economy via uh, deregulation of businesses, but how can it be explained in 22, 
2022 and 2023, deregulation of the economy is the norm. Despite this, GDP, stock market, and employment all continue to decline. Placing blame on the Federal Reserve for economic decline courtesy of interest rate hikes is convenient, but it skirts the real rationale for a decline in the U.S. economy. It is not interest rate increases. It is because too much money and too few hands, essentially starving the economic system of liquidity. This is precisely what capitalism is supposed to do to empower the wealthy. Precisely the function of interest rates, whether 0% interest or 4% interest, the results are always the same, an economy in crisis every four to seven years. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to Brother Anthony. He's an organizer for the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party. We would like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Uh, Africa is on fire tonight. Uh, they are, uh, there are uh, uh, coups uh, taking place in Burkina Faso and Senegal. And uh, and this is in spite of uh, the presence of Africom in these countries. Uh, the uh, the uh, the working masses are rebelling against uh, French domination of their resources and of their and of their land. <clears throat> and uh, you know, uh, should point out that these countries have sham independence. And, uh, you know, so they, uh, they, uh, they're battling neocolonialism, which is the primary form in which imperialism manifests itself in Africa and, uh, and the diaspora today. Also, uh, let's see, uh, they... Um, uh, let's see. Uh, the, uh, Colombia is establishing closer ties to Cuba, and uh, let's see. And uh, you know, um, you know, the the struggle inten- uh, intensifies uh, for domination of limited resources of the planet. Thank you, brother Anthony. From brother Anthony, we would like to bring in. Brother Moses, Brother Robert Moses, organizer, representative of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Africa. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. And I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't correct. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I am pro-choice, and I vote. 
I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. I for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many, to defeat the few, to organize the masses of people and to see that their interest doesn't lie with the interest of the 1%. And that a redistribution of wealth and a free education and free health care is possible in this society. Thank you, Brother Africa. Welcome, Brother Moses. And next we go to Sister Eleanor Johnson, who is also an organizer for the D.C. Retro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. We'd like to welcome her. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our listening audience here and abroad. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's show. Uh, As Brother Anthony said, uh, Africa's on fire. Uh, Yesterday, uh, as a demonstration, uh, anti-war demonstration against the uh, current war, NATO, and looking back at uh, the 20th anniversary of our invasion, the U.S., uh, United States of America's invasion of Iraq, the Senegalese stood strong. After the protest, they continued their protest in front of the White House, uh, wanting to shake the shackles of colonialism, social imperialism, and uh, taking a revolutionary stance. It was a phenomenal sight uh, to see. And uh, thank you so much for having me this evening. Um, Look forward to uh, an exciting show, per usual. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You are listening to Africa on the Moon. At this point in time, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we will start our first segment of this program, What's Going On in Your World and the Community. And if you are listening, we invite you as well to call in and share with us what's going on in your world and the community. This is Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know 
that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah.
make the transition to what's going on in your world and the community. We invite you to call in at 323-679-0841. We will acknowledge your last four numbers as we discuss the subject of what's going on in your world and the community. But before we do this, I'd like to just share a little bit of historical significance of um, our continued struggle for our liberation in terms of an important event that took place on this particular day which is the 19th of March in 1962. France was defeated by the National Liberation Front of Algeria in 1962 after eight years of war and over one million Africans lost their lives. Over eight years of war, over one million Africans lost their life in terms of fighting for their liberation to be a sovereign nation in Algeria fighting the oppressor, France, and its capitalist system. Don't you forget that. And this happened on today's date, on the 19th of March in 1962. We said the struggle continues. So at this point in time, we're going to go to our political panelist analysts as we discuss what's going on in our world and the community. We will come to Brother Haki right now. And Brother Haki... The Michael Joes, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, you know, I had an opportunity to discuss uh, with a young sister a question around fascism in American society. And there seems to be a, um, 
great opposition to the notion that, in fact, fascism could ever exist in America. I find that extraordinary. In the 21st century, it seems to me the only elements of fascism I hear, and it's very, very clear what's unfolding before our eyes, nonetheless, a lot of people, uh, for whatever reason, insist that uh, fascism could never happen here. So that's all that inspired me to, to, to write this, and so I, I certainly hope this will provide some clarity for the, for the young sisters in terms of, around the question in terms of fascism in American society. Now, the role government played to facilitate fascism is often couched in government policy that may seem benign, but on close inspection often serve as the catalyst bringing about profound and structural changes to society. For example, in the U.S., 17 states authored 40 bills aimed specifically to take away prosecutorial discretion for local prosecutors attempting to introduce political reforms. In Mississippi, state officials have gone a step further. Bills in Mississippi calls for disbanding Democratic elected local officials serving in legal capacity as judges, police officers, and replacing these institutions with prosecutors, public defenders, judges, and police appointed by the state attorney general. This strategy is not a rebuke of the local institutions, but a repudiation underscoring what the people want, democratic or otherwise, does not serve the interests of the right wing, and as such, institutions must reflect who or the type of people who should have power or control in them. Interestingly, interestingly, uh, these draconian policies by the Republican Party are directed solely at large cities with, with progressive leadership in large African populations. Implicit in these policies, the notion African leadership represents an existential threat to right-wing power appears to contain some legitimacy among the far right. Often this belief is brazenly expressed, but this narrative is expressed most vehemently in ambiguous terms to know that Africa's proximity to all things wrong with U.S. society. Andy Keshner, a Wall Street journalist, stated 91% of Silicon Valley Bank employees were independent voters. 45% were women, one black, and one veteran. Kessler concludes the implication is clear. White male conservatives, not diversity, is the key that could have diverted the bank's failure. The one black numerically is insignificant, but the power that that black holds or wealth has, has been is extraordinary, according to Kessler. Allegations circulated by Fox News stated Silicon Valley Bank funded Black Lives Matter $73 million, no doubt contributed to the bank's decline. No doubt blacks made the CEO feel guilty compelling the bank CEO to relinquish the cash. The reality is Silicon Valley Bank never contributed money or even considered contributing funds to Black Lives Matter. These proclamations fail in comparison to Alex Murdoch's assertion of black people's culpability. Murdoch, the wealthy attorney, killed his family and was found guilty in a, by a jury in South Carolina. Murdoch alleges a former worker, C.B. Rowe, a black man, Murdoch says worked with three Navy SEALs to assassinate black Panther members in South Carolina, killed his family. The black man did it is, of course, an old standard bearer used to establish the innate guilt of African people. Now, the innate guilt of Africans serves as a revealing pretext to, to sanction of fascism or justify it. Often the pretext creates motivation where physical violence against Africans can be justified. In the case of Marissa Bonware, a 50-year-old African female, alleged a white teacher shoved her in high school in the hallway during the national anthem. School policy says it is not obligatory to stand or place the right hand over your chest. Uh, it only stipulates that you just don't be disruptive. By all accounts, she was not disruptive. Even the teacher in question, Nicole Livingstone, agrees. Now, the type of physical aggression f first has to be internalized. 
Fascism's ability to shape narratives ultimately conditions individuals to diminish the lives of some while elevating the perceived inherent rights of others. And the diminishing the humanity of others, assorted behavior becomes the byproduct of, of perceptions that render others as superfluous. In the context of political power, it becomes imperative political leaders disabuse or educate the population. Ill-conceived notions of human worthiness must be, must be rejected, and the ideas of superiority based on skin color will only culminate in death and destruction of society. Ironically, the refusal of many Republicans to enlighten the masses and, 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 and necessity of changing course instead has resulted in Republicans maintaining course, giving recognition and legitimacy to ever-expanding fascistic forces and intolerance it breeds. Now, Republican indifference is no exaggeration. Recently, 26 members of the Congressional Oversight Committee refused to denounce white supremacy. Even though FBI Director Ray says white supremacy is the biggest threat facing the U.S., these congresspersons essentially refute or choose to disregard the growing threat. The congressional indifferences of opponents of fascism impact has been huge. Hate crimes have increased at its highest level in 12 years. According to the FBI, 7,759 crimes of bias were reported. Statistical breakdown reveals, and this is a report of 10,800 10, people or victims, 56% of, of the crimes of bias were against Africans, and that number shows no sign of abating. Assaults on Africans saw 1,912 in 2019, an increase of 2,755 in 2020. The statistical breakdown concluded 30% of all these attacks were physical assaults, 43% were, uh, were intimidation. The report noted that 70% of all offenders were white. Even more startling is that the Republican Party's determination to tarnish institutions while simultaneously working to legitimize white criminal behavior. Republican Congress people have been out front advocating January 6th was a display of appropriate political discourse that ordinary citizens are victims of state overreach. The GOP's position is rather interesting given the insurrectionists not only unlawfully attempted to overthrow an election violently, but illegally proceeded to storm the Capitol building and terrorize political leaders and destroying property. Despite this upheaval, only one person sentencing came close to the statutory sentence for sedition. He received only 10 years. Ironically, U.S. history is fraught with assigning long prison sentences in excess of 20 years, even though no alleged crimes committed. For instance, think about Geronimo Jijika Pratt, Asada Shakur, Mumia Abu-Jamal, Jamal Alamin, here recently, Grandmaster Jay, just for allegedly flashing a gun, received seven years alone just from allegedly flashing a gun or brandishing a gun. Now, is it, now, is it possible skin color played a role in disparity in sentences? Yes or no? In any event, fascism attempt to foment support depends on institutions without legitimacy. One of the institutional requirements of fascism is the demonization of ethnic minorities who have expressed purpose of solidifying control by the elite white minority. Control manifests as microaggressions culminating in unrestrained violence that knows no limit. Naked aggression perpetuated on a small scale tends to escalate, increasing frequency of attacks engulfing larger numbers of ethnic minorities. In the U.S., attacks on Africans in increasing numbers appear to mimic this aspect of fascism. This is something all African people should be concerned with. Now, in a disturbing case out of Mississippi, a young African man, uh, 25 years of age, Rasheem Carter, was compelled to seek assistance from Collinsville Police Department because of imminent threat from, from three pickup trucks with white males taunting him with threats and racial slurs. 
The police department chose not to assist him, and, conse- and consequently, Carter was killed fleeing in the woods, fleeing into the woods. The county medical examiner concluded, quote, no pathological conditions or skeletal trauma, but some fractures, end quote. Ironically, a private autopsy sanctioned by the family revealed his body was dismembered and his head was not attached to his body. How could it be two different medical observations with the former not disclosing Carter had been dismembered? It's important that we embrace the fact medical examiner's office is political. As such, medical examiner's job security and reputations are at the mercy of state, federal institutions like the district attorney, police, and judges. If these institutions being right, it is a safe bet, so will medical examiner's office. As fascism intensifies, so will the level of duplicity. Given the level of GOP rhetoric and policy, is it safe to say fascism could never happen in America? My position is that fascism, fascism is already here, and it's going to continue to elevate and grow. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world? In the community. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, I want to add something uh, to the observation that Brother Haki made, and that is fear is being used as a tool to uh, foment fascism inside the U.S. and probably in all other capitalist countries. And, uh, you know, uh, the uh that's un- that's the guys un- un- under which the so-called war and terror is being waged uh let's see the uh the de- democratic republican du- uh, duopoly is inculcating fear in the masses of the people to make them fall for uh for for the erosion of their hard-won rights uh in the name of national security uh, also, uh, let's see, uh, Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia uh, uh, had uh, came came to an uh, to an agreement recently under uh, 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 w- with uh, China uh, ser- serving as a catalyst for this uh, process, which. Um, you know, which um, uh, tarnishes, uh, uh, shows the declining influence that the U.S. has in, uh, in, in Western Asia or the so-called Middle East. And um, uh, let's see, and uh, as, as I stated earlier, uh, let's see, uh, fight. Fights are breaking out any, 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 everywhere, and the struggle is intensifying, especially in Central and South America and Africa. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, as imperialism, you know, intensifies its domination, the resistance to it is intensifying as well. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we can go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, well, yesterday there was a march. Um, I, um, 
against the war and against funding Ukraine and against funding NATO and uh, against the sanctions on Cuba and Venezuela and Syria and the other countries. And um, anyway, that was, so that was one thing going on in my world. And then uh, they tell me that uh, black skin can never be free until white skin is also free. And that's the dilemma we're faced with here in the U.S. of A. and the world. Um, we have to liberate white skin. We have to leave the revolution and and uh, and liberate all humanity. This is this this struggle takes place on a personal level and on a and on a on a political level. Takes place on all fronts, theoretically, economically, and politically. And so we're faced with uh, uh, fascism in the U.S. of A. is going to has always and always been a part of the apartheid system in the U.S. of A. The the racism, the the veil of of uh, racism that that divides people um, ideologically. Politically, economically, um, people are faced with skin color, pigmentation of skin, and they develop all sorts of ideas as a result of that. Some of them correct, some of them incorrect, mostly incorrect. We are faced with racism, usually prejudice, bigotry, and all sorts of uh, uh, abhorrent behaviors as a result. Um, Anyway, I, I... I just wanted to get that in. Uh, there's so much going on in the world, but we have to take this struggle personally uh, and apply it personally. And uh, and uh, and if we can be masters over uh, that one thing, maybe we'll become masters over more. So thank you. Hey, Brother Moses, my little brother on the corner told me actually, why is it the African again have to come suck the Why? Did the white skin need to be free, free first before the black skin? It's not a question of being free first. It's a question of of being free. And it's, and um, black skin can never be free until white skin is free. If you don't understand the nature of, of the the beast, uh, capitalism and the political economy of capitalism uh, um, um, and how in terms of freedom – what is, what is real freedom, and that's and that's and that's the nature of the beast. Um, that's that's why Rodney Walter Rodney wrote how Europe underdeveloped Africa. I mean, if Europe was free, Africa would have been free, but Africa couldn't be free with with Europe with Europe being oppressed as well, uh, exploited. Um, but anyway, um, it's 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 a protracted struggle. I mean, there's levels of of freedom and um but in terms of absolute um independence and to be able to 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 um to have the resources that the world has because we live in a highly technological society and we we are we should have the best of this world um that the world has to give us and uh and to really be free we would we would need to have the resources that that go with that go with freedom is independence of thought 
independence of action and uh the consequences of action are are not um destructive self destructive um uh, there's true independence but anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. All right, Brother Moses, I hear you talking. Thank you. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, yesterday was a, a great day in that uh, people from many communities and nations came together in opposition to the uh, Ukrainian war, to NATO, and to imperialism. And the Francophone folks from Costa d'Ivoire and uh, uh, Senegal were there, and they were talking about uh, Mackie Sal and uh, also talking about uh, reminding people and educating people as to uh, it, things like the name of... Uh, of uh, Burkino Faso, for example, Burkino means dignity, Faso means land of ancestors. So the name Burkino Faso means upright people's land. And uh, I found that very interesting. And they were talking about Thomas Sankora uh, and his assassination, but they said if they were recommending to people have a sign up saying, if you really want to see uh, um, Thomas Sankura's White House, they said, you have to look on YouTube and see my White House is in Black Harlem. Uh, I think it was, they said, uh, 1984. And that was really phenomenal to be out at an anti-war demonstration, which I I, uh, I was rather late to see such a diverse group of people and to see our brothers and sisters uh, from the continent out there uh, supporting uh, uh, the anti-imperialist movement and the anti-war movement. And uh, they talked about, uh, one thing they talked about was how uh, are these uh, these real leaders like Sankora, you know, are somehow assassinated by someone near them, and how this happens, and 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 the revolutionary African leaders have been undermined, and the problem right now is neo-colonialism, and that was a, a very phenomenal thing to see. Just as I said, such a diverse group of people. I also spoke with some Afghanis, and uh, you know, uh, there's something very interesting. You know, China has just helped uh, Saudi Arabia, as uh, Brother Anthony said, negotiate an agreement. And in a way, the United States of America has lost faith, faith because of the way the U.S. left. Afghanistan, just helter-skelter, bombing, leaving people behind, and they promised to defend these Afghani people who had allegiance with the United States of America, 
But when 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 it came down to it last August, they abandoned them. So uh, the U.S. is losing faith in in Western Asia, and uh, uh, people are uh, as, asserting their own independence. Now the issue is uh, oil sales. Now Saudi Arabia, the U.S. is practically energy independent, but the real purchases of salty oil right now are India and China. So we see all these economic changes, and you see the Saudis dealing with both uh, China, negotiating with China, while also maintaining a relationship with the U.S. where they're able to purchase weapons uh, from the U.S. to continue their a horrific attack on Yemen. But it was interesting um, to this weekend to see folks to learn something, as, for me, to learn the meaning of Burkina Faso. And and it, it, it was really beautiful to see the folks standing up from many nations, but uh, in the end, they're all African people, whether the diaspora or or uh, the Senegalese, and they, uh, it was just fantastic. And the folks from uh, Burkina Faso, as well as uh, uh, the Ivory Coast, Francophones, who really want to see uh, a change in currency. Uh, they've been using, I, the acronym escapes me right now for the currency that is used uh, in, in, uh, Francophone states, but they really want to step away from the use of that currency and find uh, another way to go forward. And uh, of course, there was the Silicon Valley Bank collapse and another bank. And oddly enough, uh, we were advised um, when this was happening that it would happen. So I just want to say thank you right now, Brother Africa, and um, I will uh, thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haki Anthony, can you give our people a general definition of what is fascism, what that is made of, composed of? For those who may not be able to understand, we use the terminology of fascism. Stop with you, Brother Haki. Yeah, essentially all, all, all you're saying is that, you know, given the fact that the economy is in decline, and so we talk about things like spending, uh, consumerism, uh, those kind of things in terms of the impact, directly impacts on the economy, the government is not in the economic position to actually deal with those issues. And as a consequence of not being able to deal with those issues, the, dec- the economy declines. And so normally what they, they, they most uh, economists say that well, if that happens two consecutive two consecutive quarters or six over six month period, then you have real problems. So what happens in terms in terms of in terms of fascism is that there's anticipation that this problem in terms of declining economy is not going to simply persist for a six month period, but would extend over a long period of time. And so the ruling class ob- see the obligation in terms of maintaining control. It has to do in everything in terms of maintaining control and how maintaining control. It's to become much more brutal, much more authoritarian in terms of you know, you know, uh, you know how policies play themselves out, and so so when you look at a situation like we look at in Nazi Germany, you look at the control, the rise of the Third Reich, 
You understand this is all part of a process, and in, in, in part because German leadership position was that we could be much more powerful, we could have much more authority, much more control over the world if, in fact, that we unite and deal with those people in the context of our society who are weak, who are bringing us down. So this element in terms of nationalism that exists in 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 uh, in, uh, in, uh, in fascist society is something that we got we got to be very concerned about. And so we see this constant abuse or assaults on African people by the police and others. Then it means that it's indicative of something. It doesn't it doesn't exist out of out of nowhere. It comes from a specific reason. And so when we talk about in terms of fascism, then we have to understand that people, the ruling class or people in positions of power understand that the economy is in decline, and because the economy is in decline, there's no way conceivable for the people in positions of power to remain power unless they create, unless they create, unless they create some, some conditions which uh, make sure that no one is in position to challenge that power. So whether they're talking about education, using education in terms of disempowering people or brutally beating and killing people, it, it serves a purpose in terms of ensuring that the ruling class maintains power. So this is the the, the, the the inevitability in terms of when we talk about fascism and how it impacts a population. So I think for African people in American society, I think no one should be uh, one should be surprised that all these horrid, horrific things that are happening to African people uh, understand that this is all part of a system. This is not something simple because they dislike African people. In part, in, in part, and possibly exists because the system demands this, these kind of things happen. Because like any system, there's a certain amount of inertia, a certain amount of resistance to change these systems um, these, uh, these systems employ. Also, the question in terms of longevity. So in order for the system to, 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 to be in power for long periods of time into the future, then it has to do what it has to do in terms of brutality, incarceration rates, uh, police brutality, so forth and so on in terms of maintaining power. So that's essentially what, what fascism is, and this is precisely why all these, all these, all these, all these horrific uh, kinds of events are taking place in American society and throughout the Western world, because it's indicative of, of fascism and it's, it's control with the catalyst behind it is very, very powerful. Not just the powerful in the United States, but the powerful throughout the Western world who work in concert to make sure these conditions prevail. So I'll close with that. Brother Anthony, you'd like to add anything to that? Yes. Uh, the term fascism comes from the the, the the Italian word fasci, which is uh, which is Italian, which is what the Italians referred to as their legislature during uh, during the late twenties and uh, throughout the forties. And uh, this is during the era when uh, when Benito Mussolini was uh, was in power in Italy, and was the head of state. That's where the term fascism comes from. Uh, and uh, and actually, fascism is the erosion of the uh, of uh, of the uh, masses of the people's hard-won democratic rights. And it's usually taken away under the cover of security. Security, uh, uh, fear, uh, you know, fear of uh, usually uh, socialism or communism. And, uh, and um, you know, uh, uh, let's see, it's an erosion of the democratic rights of, uh, you know, that the working people have fought for. In addition, um, 
is an it is what happens when uh, a capitalist society transfers from a welfare state in which um you know which uh you know the workers uh you know have certain privileges uh and transforms to to its more brutal form which is fascism and uh that process is uh you know, is happening not only in the U.S., but also in all capitalist countries, including Canada and Western Europe, primarily. And, uh, and, in, those, uh, and in those areas where it's not taking place, neocolonialism is the dominant form of uh, imperialist uh, domination. Thank you, Brother Anthony. This is Africa on the Move. We're going to take a road share culture break, and when we come back, we're going to make our transition to sports, capitalism, and race, which is our theme for today's program. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move. Black man, go on and get a cat scan. I had chain wrap too straight, too tight. We get a backhand, there ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. Twenty years with my medicine, but they wanna throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. Four hundred year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We're in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty. Conscious trumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. Who's trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention? Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call them king, then treat them like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Rousey with a cloud of smoke. Howdy do for Maui, bro. Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning risings, my end of alarm kicking. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch black power docs and study our chakras. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. We gon' cop a ticket and fly on out if you fly on out. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Then when your ass been on ass been like I has been Raising the trap when the guard talk math and moves with a Mac 10 Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established, cut camera action I cut lines with my sad card, my bitch is packing Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy, they caught him flagging Then huddle around him with a Look, you stay awake up feeling better than 
I ever been Check out my melanin It's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors with taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, caught cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent due and your kids gotta eat yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king yeah. Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty like buck fifty, both get cut quickly until they free goldie. Nobody can fuck talk with about me. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. So we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out.
so that you can use it as a tool for liberation to help liberate your people from all of the various forms of oppression as well as to liberate humanity from the various forms of oppression that take place throughout the world. You can hear this program every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., and spread the word with your friends and your network and help build this program. And, of course, you are invited to come and participate with us and share your wisdom and your knowledge as we speak to many issues and topics that are affecting our people, but more importantly, to speak truth to power and be an example. As Dr. King once said, if you don't have nothing else, you can just use your voice to speak against the injustices that are taking place against your people and against humanity. This is Africa on the Move at this particular time. We can go into our discussion for tonight. Our theme is sports, capitalism, and race. What are the connections between the three particular words, sports, capitalism, and race? How are they intertwined? Well, we would basically like to say when you understand the economic system that you function under, that all institutions that exist under any particular society will be dictated by control and will only allow its existence by supporting its values and its principles. So when you look at these sports institutions inside America or any capitalist country that exists, they can support the capitalist system. And we know that the system of capitalism and imperialism is a system of values of exploitation, values of believing in race, in, in raping system 
that has value to believe in theft. It's a system that sees human beings as a commodity to be sold and brought. And this is the aspect we'd like to talk a little bit about sports in relationship as well to race. Uh, some of the things that are going on today, and we just need to understand that it's consistent with its history. So to my political panelists and analysts, my first question to you, just in general, let's just get this ball rolling. When you think about sports, capitalism, and race, what are the interconnections between these three particular phenomena? Start with you, Brother Anthony. Um, most of the uh, sports franchises in capitalist countries, in particular uh, the U.S. and Canada, are owned by wealthy individuals or corporations or, or, or groups of individuals. But uh, they, they, they are they are owned primarily by uh, multi-billionaires or multi-millionaires or billionaires, and uh, for the most part, they're Europeans. Uh, that's the uh, that's the common pattern you'll notice if you look at uh, the control of sports in most capitalist countries. And uh, let's see. And uh, even though some of the uh, some of the athletes in some of the uh, more more lucrative sports like uh, football, baseball, and basketball and hockey may be multimillionaires, in overall scheme of things their relationship uh to the productive process is as workers thank you thank you brother brother Haki. your analysis of the relationship between sports capitalism and the issue of race yeah well i i think you know, when we talk about sports capitalism and race, I think we have to sort of prioritize. Uh, prioritize. I think one of the things, uh, you know, in, 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 in regard to those three, those three things, I think we have to put capitalism at the top. And from capitalism comes certain kind of certain kind of values. The assumption always being in the context of you know capitalism is that uh, the wealthy rules. In that context, under capitalism, only certain people qualify in terms of being legitimately wealthy. And so in that context, certainly when we talk about, you know, sports ownership, then there's an implied, that's implied, that's implied, implied reference which suggests, you know, that uh, the owners have to be white and male. That is, that, is, that is implied. I think that when we talk about race specifically in terms, in terms of sports, one of the things, you know, we have to understand is that, you know, um, you know for a long time, you know, um, you know, African people were excluded, you know, from sports. There's always a realization that there's much money to be made where the African people have the opportunity to participate in sports. Uh, the brother wrote a book called The Million Dollar Slave, and he talked about the fact that you have these, these, these Africans making lots of money in terms of sports, but yet they have no control, no say-so in terms of the organization. In fact, 
they don't have the opportunity in terms of actually actually owning those owning those organizations. Uh, so clearly, this term. So, so when we talk about capitalism in terms of, you know, um, you know how banks pay themselves out, then we have to understand that is 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 vastly, you know, um, unjust or unequal in terms of, you know, not only in terms of the, how power is used, but certainly in terms of, you know, who and who is is a uh, uh, who is who is provided with opportunity in terms of acquiring that power and using that power you know, for, to create great wealth. So clearly, you know, capitalism and racism in sports, uh, they, they, indeed, they go hand in hand. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, give me your assessment of the relationship between these three terms of sports, <laughs> capitalism, and race. How are they interconnected from your perspective? You know, I thought um, Brother Anthony was breaking it down pretty good in terms of the political economy of of uh, sports and et cetera, um, and the ownership and uh, how the work, how the players were workers, et cetera. Uh, well, that was pretty good analysis. Uh, um, um, you know, we we were brought here for a job. Um, getting paid has always been the problem. Uh, we've been exploited our labor. It's been exploited, and it's saying it still goes on with sports. Uh, capitalism is about buying deer, buying cheap and selling deer. They buy your labor cheap and sell it deer. Um, 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 the the system of, um, of football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, all all of them are, are based upon. Um, um exploitation of labor uh and marketing marketing the product um gaining the maximum amount of profit out of it um uh there is there is no uh, free education free health care system in this country uh with all the surplus labor that's here um whether it's Bill Gates with his $106 billion or something and and uh, all the surplus labor that's here. And I'm into a labor theory of value. So so that represents work, unpaid labor. And uh, so we have to uh, appropriate our due, due diligence, uh, our due share of, of, uh, of, of the products of uh, in the production process, we we produce the product, and 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 now when we appropriate the 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 benefits of our labor, we get private appropriation, and, and we're excluded from from the appropriations. We're getting crumbs from the table. And that's the situation we're faced with. I think you know, in terms of analysis of the society, I think you know, Bernie Sanders and um, Elizabeth Warren do pretty good jobs of laying out what's going on. Uh, if you just listen, uh, they have concrete analysis of concrete companies, concrete people. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we live in a capitalist system. Uh, but I, I was trying to get on the fascism part. Um, um, capitalism and it has racism, of course, but fascism is, it has a feature, features racism, uh, more, more to extremes less subtle and less liberal as as in capitalism and um 
And fascism is, is not only that, but it has the economic basis. It's the open tyranny of finance capital, as, as J.B. Stalin defined it. Um, finance capital is able able to um, they're financing the police, and they and they aren't terrorizing our community. Um, they're financing uh, Shakinah, and it terrorizes Iraq. They finance um, the the evasion of the Ukraine and it's terrorizing that community. Uh, um, 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 fascism is not just the usual standard capitalism. It's, it's open tyranny of finance capital. It's, it's, a, it's an extreme, uh, vicious, vicious attack on the working class. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moser. And Sister Eleanor, your assessment of the relationships between these three entities, sports, capitalism, and racism, how are they connected from your perspective? It's a labor relationship, and it is uh, the epitome of of, uh, wage slavery in that you you see that at the turn of the 20th century, you saw blacks uh, before Jim Crow uh, provided entertainment for whites. For example, in boxing, and the whites would stage fights amongst black uh, uh, black men uh, for their entertainment. But then you see with the onset of Jim Crow, the racism sticks his head up in, in terms of organized sports. But the bottom line is, uh, as Anthony and uh, uh, Brother Haki and, 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 and Brother Moses have said that uh, ultimately it's wage slavery and the workers have limited rights and uh, have uh, they are not organized. There's no union representation. They're not organized, and they have limited rights. So uh, it's 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 a a bright example of why we must organize and why unions are needed uh, when uh, a worker when a when a worker is injured on the football field. Is completely at the discretion of the owners as to whether or not his medical bills are going to be paid. And we as the public have to give praise. Uh, like last season when we saw a young player injured and he hadn't been playing three years, so he didn't have the, the benefits or anything to cover his expenses. And the, the team ultimately covered his expenses. But the world had to take a breath of fresh air simply because it was completely up to the owner's discretion as to whether or not they would have covered this 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 worker, this football player's injuries. So uh it's it's another form of wage slavery. Uh and the thing is it brings in incredible revenues which the Workers receive little or no none of those true benefits 
uh, it's true they receive large salaries, but they're nominal when you consider the amount of money that are made uh, through these teams, through the sales of sportswear and so many other things that bring in capital for the owners. So it's 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 uh it's wage slavery, and it's at the top of this game. But I want to go back to the uh, fascism thing. You know, Nia, we're at a time where we're facing totalitarianism and fascism, and it's 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 not just open capitalism and imperialism. It is where the people's rights are being taken away. We've seen 39 states. Uh, passed voter suppression laws. We've seen me- uh, medical rights taken away from women. We see uh, 5013C3s that are set up simply to, uh, the 501C2s, I'm sorry, that are simply set up to draft templates of legislation that uh, states quickly uh, pick up and and uh, uh, edit to meet their goals and needs, but the goals are the same. Suppress votes, limit uh, education, and restrict uh, women's rights, uh, for example, as well as continue to ignore the environment. Um, we saw candidate Biden say that he would not allow any drilling on public land. But yet last week we saw President Biden allow the Willow Creek pipeline to go forward at a time when we're facing major atrocities on planet Earth as a result of our use of fossil fuel and uh, this this is just an outrage. But remember, uh, Mussolini also moved into Africa. So you had Franco, Mussolini, and Hitler. So there was a fascist movement. And this totalitarianism right now, we saw it here in the United States with Trump. We saw it in Brazil with Bolsonaro. We see it in India. We see it in Turkey. And uh, this is a major world struggle. And we are seeing people recreate history as this is a story that you make up in discussing the Ukraine-Russian conflict and the fact that the U.S. and Great Britain and others were financing the Ukraine military and training them and Advancing this conflict uh, is is uh, it's caused great suffering for the planet. Right now, we saw last week that Turkey is willing to go forward another sixty days or so with the grain grain exports from the Ukraine. But what happens to the rest of Russia's grain that the world needs? Uh, is 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 Turkey? because of Russian sanctions, not going to allow the export of Russian grain along the Black Sea, and Russia being uh, interrupted from accessing its navy because of the uh, conflict with the Ukraine. 
you know, uh, it is really outrageous. And Brother Haki said it all in his presentation in the paper that he had written and I had the good fortune of reading. With fascism, you see people alleging that the January 6th coup d'etat was, as he says, political discord. It was not. It was an, a violent attack and attempt One minute, to take over not the annoying. U.S. government. Wrap it up, okay? Well, I'm One finished, minute. brother. I, I, as I said, it was a violent attempt over the U.S. government on January 6th. It was not simple political discord. That's fascism. Okay, and for the nature of the remaining time we have for this program, panelists, we're going to ask everyone to stick to the theme for tonight. Sports, capitalism, and race. There will be other times where we can continue some of these discussions if we do not have a fully discussion tonight on that particular subject. So let's keep on this theme. Brother Haki, one of the things uh, I'd like for you to ex- extrapolate on, which I find really interesting, uh, about the teachings of a capitalist system in which it's supposed to be governed by certain principles. And this question about this whole issue about um, the entrepreneurs should have the right to earn as much money as he can based upon his potential, based upon his works, based upon his energy, based upon his talent. Now, when we look at sports, it's, it's, it's really interesting in terms of how it views the athlete. Why is there no cap on how much money owners can make versus they have put a cap on how much the individual athlete can make? How does that how does that relationship um compare to the whole theory of once you have the right to earn and make as much money as they can based upon their ability? Um, Brother Aki. Well, Brother Africa, that's that's one of those um uh that's that's one of those um set, um, one of those statements that capitalists make to justify, you know, unbridled greed. Uh clearly, you know, when you talk about in terms of potential earnings, I want you to understand that no individual earns anything. It takes it takes a collection of individuals working together. First of all, to create, and in that process, when you talk about creation, you got to when you talk about in terms of allocating resource, allocating wages, then certainly you got to, you got to say to yourself that listen, these people helped me raise this money, and so therefore, is it right for me to simply take all the money simply because you know I'm the owner? Uh, the fair person, the person who is just, would say that though, though that's that's something fundamentally skewed in terms of that kind of analysis or that kind of philosophy, which says that I I, I take you know when it takes all. Uh, but in the capitalist society, that kind of thinking is, is the norm. I mean, most of it is most of it is predicated around when it takes all. Of course, with that assumption, when it takes all, then bottom line is that you don't care about anything other than yourself. And it's a very, very simplistic, very juvenile way in terms of understanding life. Uh, you know, to 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 understand that you know to have to live in the context with other people, but to create scenario, create conditions to suggest. That their existence is not important uh, to me. It's just, it's just 
very, very ironic, and it does. It somehow it's nonsensical. It's very, very farcical. But anything, I, I, I think that. So when you talk about the terms cap of wages, on wages for athletes, I think essentially it follows that that line of reasoning. You know that listen, you don't own it, so therefore, you know, I get all the benefits from being the owner. Uh, but that's typical capitalism. That's what it does. And so I think that you know, when, so so it seems to me when you talk about this this question terms terms of caps. You know, uh, what they're saying essentially is that, you know, um, sky's the limit for the owners. But as far as the athletes, uh, their existence, you know, is really not important whatsoever. And to the extent that athletes continue to accept that kind of relationship with, with, these, with these owners, it's, not going, it's only going to continue to get worse. And it's evident in terms, you look at in terms of the buying and selling of, of athletes, uh, you know, uh, based upon, you know, based upon not what they produce on the field, but what owners can get away with paying them. But those are particular. But those are but, but those are capitalist principles. This is the, the struggle that we find ourselves in in, in growth. Then is this whole notion in terms of some people have an inherent right to to capitalize on essentially uh, the, uh, the 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 um, the, um, the 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 actions or, or, of of others, uh, and, and and somehow they get that to do that is somehow okay to do. So I think it's pretty it's pretty much um, um, the epitome of, of capitalism in terms of its values. So. This capitalist thinks is a natural occurrence in terms of that kind of mindset. So I'm not surprised that they would have a cap for athletes, but sky's the limit when it comes to the owners. You know, Brother Anthony, again, looking at the contradiction between how they claim capitalism should function and how it treats its workers, it's really interesting. And I'd like for you to respond to the phenomenon. Not only did they put a cap on the athletes' earnings, but they actually put a cap on the total amount of money that you can invest or spend on a team as it relates to, relates to the salary aspect of it. For example, there is a 53-man team, and they may have a cap where you cannot invest no more than maybe $200, $250 million total for the whole spending money when it comes to salary. So otherwise you have $250 million that must be divided and spread among a whole team of 53 ball players. But at the same time, with that contradiction, they also have another contradiction, Brother Anthony, in which they say we're a team and we need to do this together, but there seems to put place, there seems to be a, a, a place on certain values on certain positions. For some reason, other certain positions are valued more than others, and they are put, they are given a certain financial value, which is way unproportional to what the total team can receive. For example, if you are given a two million, two hundred fifty million dollar budget for the whole team of fifty three ball players. But you designate the position, i.e., the quarterback, as being the most important position, and they take up maybe 20 to 30 percent of the whole total salary of the 250. What does that say about the other players, the other position? And even with this position, there's a tendency to basically to push all the European ball players. Your response to that scenario, Brother Anthony? What's wrong with that picture? Yes. Uh, one, it's it's unfair, especially in especially a team sport. Uh, you know, uh, a team sport like uh, let's see, like um, 
uh, all all members of a team have to play their role. Otherwise, the team doesn't win. So, uh, so, so, uh, in a just society, all, all, all workers, all, all players should be paid equally. But under capitalism, there's some, there's certain, there's certain positions that are more glorified than others, and uh, those positions demand higher salaries. Which is blatantly blatantly unfair, uh, and another blatant feature of capitalism is th- is this whole concept of uh, trades, uh, you know, uh, uh, contracts. And as Sister Eleanor correctly points out, it is really a, a very blatant example of wage slavery uh, because even e- even the, the terminology. Uh, that's used uh, in, in, in certain uh, sports comes from uh, cattle slavery. So um, you know these uh, uh, these uh, uh, even though even though they they highly they're more highly paid than than most other workers are. They are they are they are wage they are wage slaves literally, and um, you know the concept of trades uh, bargaining and whatnot, and uh, some of these sports the players do have labor organizations or unions, but they're very weak uh, in comparison to the. Uh, uh, to the to the bargaining power that the owners have, and uh, and the reason for for that is this is a society that spends an enormous amount of resources on entertainment, enormous amount. That is why uh, that is why the owners rack up so much money. Because this society spends a, 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 an enormous amount of resources on entertainment, and entertainment plays an important role in capitalist society. That is why it is so hard to get workers organized, because they have an outlet outlet for their frustrations from capitalism. That is cheering for their sports team. Baseball, football, boxing, whatever the sport is, and um, uh, you know, a team sport like uh, basketball, baseball, football, hockey. Uh, the players, if this was a just society, would be paid equally because their roles are equally important. But under capitalism. Some roles uh, roles are more important and more have more value than others. Thank you, Anthony. Brother Moses, your response to the situation when we often talk about equality or equity in sports, there seems to be an unfair balance of trying to reach that goal because of the fact that you have – Rich, wealthy Europeans who have had a head start 
to create a league at the expense of mostly African athletes. Let's say, for example, football, basketball. But let's just say football, for example. He was able to acquire and buy and purchase a team, and when they created this league, they also put in the stipulation of no one can become an owner of that in that particular league, not let the owners of that league vote them in. This seemed to be a, a, a legal so-called loophole to ensure that people who may not look like them and be like them will never be given the opportunity to earn and participate in that particular in, in industry. Your response to that scenario, to that scenario, Brother Moses, how do we overcome that? Yeah. That's where the question of race, race again plays an important part in terms of the systemic, systematic structure of these institutions and how they sophisticatedly have designed things to keep African and other people out from being Right. Being able to this have is equal nothing, opportunities to generate wealth. This, this is nothing new. Uh, this is nothing new. Uh, um, the syndicates, the the holding companies, the the uh, associations, the corporations, uh, all all have a certain exclusivity and built into them to to uh, safeguard their perpetuation and. Uh, and and uh, and to determine who who can and who will be part of their organization. I mean, this is this is this is true. Uh, uh, we we live in a system of of, uh, of capitalism of of, of profit drive. Uh, they say the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, the 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 attempt to to increase 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 the amount of money one has daily and weekly and monthly and yearly that drive that drive um 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 blinds people to to the needs of society uh, until people get politics in command until until people have a a political ideology that uh, that surpasses um money as a objective um and and money is only becomes a tool um and um there's a uh, for me I don't, I, I don't, somehow I can't see how, um, I now had a form of, a form of godliness, uh, served the people, and that was great, I mean, great, but, um, denying the power thereof, um, um, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, he denied there was a God, and I can't see how, how the new person is going to be created without God, uh, uh, that's my problem. I can't get beyond that. Uh, that we have to go walk towards Christianity, walk towards a daily life towards Christlikeness, and that's that's the the answers in my mind. That Jesus is the answer for the world today. And um, but I have to keep politics in command and 
and we're trying to build a secular government, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, a government that that's for the working class and has a working class ideology as, it, as its basis, which is Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, and uh, and so you know we're in a we're in a uh, those who have an ear let them hear. Uh, um, everybody doesn't get the message, but but um, but there's truth in my words, and so thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And Brother Anthony, I'm Sister Eleanor, coming to you, Sister Eleanor, your response to this particular situation. We say that everything is political. We look at how capitalism functions in the world of sports. It doesn't limit itself to this particular border called the U.S. We look at the whole world as a tool to exploit folks, to sport people, as well as understanding how to use race when it comes to when it comes to maximizing their profit. Now, for example, since I don't know, in baseball, one of the new phenomena, it's not new, but been going on for quite a while now, is that historically, I think it was 1927 when Jackie Robinson was first integrated in the so-called European Baseball League. Yeah, Africans born in America um, participating in this industry called the U.S. National Baseball League. Now the capitalists seem to use Africans born outside of America as the means to displace the Africans who were born in America. Now, this question of how they're using us against each other and to keep low wages because what they are doing and have done is they have fair Africans who are outside of America who are very skillful in playing baseball. They draft them and choose them and give them contracts to come here to play, while Africans who was born here for who could play baseball, they no longer are given access to play baseball because they don't have to pay them as much. How do we deal with that phenomenon, Susanna? How do we deal with the inequity in pay? Not the only the question that, not on the question inequity in pay, but the intentional use of excluding excluding Africans from born in the US not having equal access to play in that industry because they are using Africans outside the United States to come in and replace them. So they are very keen in terms of looking at their product on a global basis and not on a local basis. So again, as a people, how do we deal with these 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 forms of exploitation as relates to us as as a whole? Now uh that's uh that that's back to a labor issue and wage slavery. These high paid wage slaves um have limited voice. Um, that if they were organized or uh, they had strong unions, the unions would step in and and have a voice in this matter. As individuals, I don't know. We've seen the cabinets. We've seen since you know we've seen people trying to stand up for the people and just trying to stand up in general, but. Uh, uh, that can be um, 
I, I, I don't know how that might go. I don't know how that might go, but I do know that as wage slaves, the, uh, obviously the uh, players have a limited voice in this matter because we do see uh, uh, players from other places. Like tonight, for example, uh, at 6.30 p.m., um, the game started at 7. Uh, the Cuban uh, and U.S. Uh, in World Baseball Classic semifinals is being played in Miami right now tonight. Now, um, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know, you know, what what uh, to say about how the workers can impact. I haven't thought it out of how the workers can impact uh, who's employed and uh, uh, and and what their wages would be. But uh, there's definitely um, a polarization that happens in this country in general. It seems when it comes to the descendants of the ex-slaves. Uh, you see black faces moving up in the world, but whether or not the, the, they're the faces, they look like us, but they and they are our brothers and sisters, but they are, in effect, not the descendants of the slaves in the United States of America. And this is a historic problem. Um, they had been, we had uh, been making headway, and when all that means is that we earned li- what were livable wages, but that we didn't receive fair wages, and that's what we're talking about. There's a lack of equity in the sports industry, in baseball in particular, as you said, and the owners control the, uh, they reap the benefit of the profits. And the workers are restricted in what they earn, um, uh, their, uh, who is hired. They have no control over it. And uh, domestic talent is obviously greatly overlooked and is now being underdeveloped as we uh, engage in some type of bourgeois internationalism Uh in this country, and uh, as one of the other analysts said, you know, this this is like the Roman era. You know, the the people worked hard for little or nothing, and they and they loved entertainment in the arenas. In the the arenas, they're not coliseums literally, but uh, they are the arenas, and that's where people spend their money. So I think the owners are looking at who's attending these games and trying to attract a larger audience to increase their profits, and the players have little or no no control over it. Therefore, as you said, you're seeing uh, players from Dominica, Dominican Republic, other places, uh, playing these sports, well, not only in baseball, but you see it in hockey and you see it in all other areas, except for I don't know if football has been. It's, it's been penetrated also. 
but not to the extent that uh, baseball and, and, and hockey have, for example, or even basketball. But on the other hand, American football is a violent, dangerous sport. And the the workers, the players, experience later in life the results of their labor often through uh, chronic uh, injury and disease. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Anthony, as we talk about the importance of Pan-Africanism and given the same phenomenon I just raised with Sister Eleanor, how they plan Africans inside of the border of the U.S. and outside of the border of the U.S. against each other. How do you look at this, this question? If, if Africans come together as one and we dictate our own, um, know our own interests, will we be in a better position of, of fighting against this kind of divide and rule and exploiting our brothers and sisters based upon a different geographical area when it comes to paying equal pay for doing a equal job? If we were organized, we would be. However, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Right now, we're 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 in a disorganized state. We're disunited. Uh, we see ourselves as primarily these uh, these uh, you know a, uh, you know different ethnic groups. Uh, from from various countries, and um, you know a a, 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 a substantial number of Africans, not not all, but a substantial number, do you know uh, you know are are imbued with micronationalism, which which is capitalist. And uh, so they able to use they able to use, uh, they, they able to use uh, our ethnic and religious differences and language differences, for that matter, to keep us divided. And uh, and that's something we have to work very hard to overcome. But if we're united, then we would be in a best uh, in a better position. Uh, to fight for better working conditions and uh, put an end to this uh, to this divide and conquer tactic, conquer tactic that uh, that the sports owners are using, and they use that primarily to keep wages suppressed. And uh, and uh, you know, and the reason why they want to keep ways to suppress this is because it increases profits. And under capitalism, making maximizing profits is the name of the game. And uh, sports tends to be an extreme example of that. And uh, so I, I, I agree with you. I think if we were united and better organized, then we then, then, then we we could put an end to this. But right now, in our present state, we can't. Brother Haki, when you look at this relationship between sports, capitalism, and race, one of the other, one of the many things you'll see is that 
when you look at the behavior of the capitalists, they have a they have a tendency to um, what's the word for it? They have a tendency to, as I said earlier, to be very symbolic in certain positions that they seem to have a set aside for people who are non-Africans. In this case, we're talking about positions like quarterbacks, talking about positions like in baseball, shortstops, even for the most time, pitchers. You could used to be positions in football, free safeties. See, like these positions were set aside. And see, like today, the issue of quarterback is evolving. All things changes all the time. Is evolving to now a quarterback not only must be able to throw the ball, but also run the ball. But they see this evolving quarterback as something negative, which seems to be more positive to me because the more you can do, the better you have a chance of being successful. What you think is the cause to this resistance of not wanting to change and recognize the evolving of the quarterback of being able to do many things outside of just on the ball? Is this a racist element with the capitalists as it relates to they trying to preserve the status, the status position of a quarterback for a European athlete? What's your response to that phenomenon, Brother Hackey? I think it's, yeah, I think Brother Africa is a, is a mixed bag. I think when you talk about this, 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 this historical tendency to have certain certain players, let's be let's be very honest and very candid. When you talk about specifically having white white folks, you know, at certain positions in sports, uh, this history, I think, to a large extent, has to do with two factors. I think one, it has to do with the fact that we're talking about uh, we're talking about the marketplace, and so in other words, by having white players at certain positions, certain positions that are very visible, those certain positions that have certain leadership quality, and present that position as as as, as a white person's domain then certainly it has a certain appeal to the white masses of people in American society because America is predominantly European. Of course, uh, you know, it's good for business. Uh, and I think the second thing, I think, in terms of propensity to continue to uh, uh, save certain positions of certain people, I think it has to do with racism, and there's no question about that. And you allude to the fact that you talk about in terms of when you talk about quarterback, there is this position that uh, quarterback position is one of, um, you know, of, uh, of being an intelligent leader. Uh, also, when we talk about in terms of being an intelligent leader, you know, in terms of the physical skills or the, or the athletic skills of quarterbacks, it can it tends to be downplayed because by downplaying the the, the uh, attributes for athletes, you can always justify why you would have slower slower players in key positions, uh, uh, despite the fact that you have the availability of, of much better players who happen to be of a different color. So I think one of the things I think, and when I think about the situation of Lamar Jackson in terms of the skills that he brings to football, one of the things he's a he's a proto, he's a prototype of the future, because you got a lot of the defensive linemen. I mean, those guys, those big guys, they run in five, six, five, seven. I mean, you got a guy over three hundred fifty pounds running over, you know, four seven, four six, four seven, four eight, you know, over three hundred fifty pounds. So if the quarterback can only best the quarterback can do is run a a a, 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 a you know a five one. You know, the reality is that uh, that quarterback is going to be very effective. So you need a quarterback who not only can throw the ball, but who's mobile. But the mere fact that there's been great resistance, uh, great opposition in terms of, you know, elevating, you know, quarterbacks with the skills in terms of not only throwing the ball, but also running, because you because you create a precedent in which what happens is that those, you, you the, 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 kind of, the kind of quarterbacks historically you like to see in positions uh, like quarterback, 
uh, they don't have the attributes in terms of in the 21st century being able to compete against bigger and faster athletes. So what you want to do is downplay this athleticism and, and play up this whole aspect in terms of being more heady, more intelligent, you know, as a quarterback. And so, therefore, you might be the worst athlete on the team, but you can throw the ball and you're known to be a thinker. So a lot of this has to do with his historical precedent, yeah, a lot of it, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, to, to the extent that, that can change, athletes themselves have to step, to, step, to, step, step up to the plate. They have to. Because see, this, this thing, see, it's not – People like to believe that these kind of these kind of incidences are unconsciously motivated, but these owners are very clear in terms of the, the, the steps that they take. They understand clearly, because they understand the value of the marketplace. They understand that certain things appeases you know a right audience, and they understand that. And so, one of the things you like to see as 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 the as the uh, as the head of the team, you know, personified by the quarterback, of course, is a white person. In basketball. It, it, it used to be and still is the point guard position. Why? Well, the point guard is more heady. You know, he's more heady, more intelligent. And so, therefore, that's why he's the point. That's why he or she is the point guard. So, clearly, you know, these racial antagonism with respect to sports still exists in the 21st century. So, unless the athletes step up and say, listen, enough is enough, or end of this insanity, there's no justification for why you people won't pick up Lamar Jackson. You won't pay him. Given, given his productivity on the field, you won't pay him. Simply because he has the ability to run and throw. In other words, they're saying, well, he'd be better suited if, if maybe if he was a, a running back or receiver because he's just too fast to be a quarterback. Well, whoever said a quarterback had to be slow? No one ever said a quarterback had to be slow. You know, so this notion that, you know, so this notion that quarterback has to be slow is somewhat self-serving because it enables these, these owners to put in positions, particularly, quote-unquote, key positions, uh, to be uh, to be occupied specifically by white people and no questions asked. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think it's a combination of the marketplace and racism, and that's my view. And to all the panelists tonight, uh, when we look at this question of sports, capitalism, and race, um, you know, capitalism has its way, particularly when it comes to Africans, to want to dominate us and make sure we have no independence. I see this taking place in the form of the National Basketball Association is and has already started developing a professional basketball league in Africa where they can control the growth of basketball development in Africa and Africans back home playing basketball. Now, they're doing that to Africa, but they couldn't, and China won't let them do that to, the, to, to in China. The South American country will let them come to South America and do that to them. Now, in terms of looking at their behavior, is this also another imperialist attempt to dominate Africa? And not only are they talking about bringing basketball or using sports, but they use sports also to bring in their cultural values and norms that suit their interests. Y'all respond to that phenomenon. Is this a good thing for for Africa, Central Illinois? Um, no, and it's not a good thing for Africans. You know, uh, we we saw this last year where the NBA uh, was going to be developing these leagues and having a, um, developing them in different uh, countries and having them fight each other. In effect, it's a game, as one of the analysts said, just a way of controlling uh, labor costs. You know, you keep the cost down, and you also keep the people divided. You know, the uh, 
Willie Lynch story as it was uh, the poem as it was published in September 1929 in Langston Hughes's magazine, an anonymous writer. You divide the tall from the short. And in this case, we're dividing the uh, uh, Africans um, on the continent from uh, Africans in the United States and uh, keeping us polarized. But in effect, I think it's just a means of uh, controlling wages and uh, um, having a broader spread of surplus labor in the sports industry. Oh, thank you, Sister Aldor. Brother Moses, your thoughts on this? Trying to make it real compared to what? Okay, um, the the sports industry is a microcosm of the the society. Uh, um, it has this racism, sexism, xenophobia, even. Um, uh, it you know, but I I I think you know the the sports uh, in terms of problems in the in the country and the uh, direction of the main blow. Um, certainly, the sports industry is is a, has its problems, but the political industry, the political the state the government is the is the real issue and because because that will resolve the the other issues if we we get over the property relationships and the and the and the and the socialism and a new democracy um we'll resolve all the sports industries in in that in that sweep of revolutionary activity thank you Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Haki, your response as well to this issue. What was the question again, Brother Africa? Yeah, the question was, do you think it's a good sports has a, capitalism has a tendency to use sports as a political tool to continue to try to dominate uh, African people? And I was Talking about example, the NBA has came up with a plan where they're going to develop um, an institution, um, professional basketball league, where they can train and develop Africans in Africa to play basketball. Whether or not if that's a good thing for Africa, because not only do they use sports to try to dominate and continue to oppress African people, but also through sports, when you go to other countries, you bring your your certain culture norms and stuff that may be alienated to the well-being and development and the, and the values of that society. So do you think this is a good thing and to allow the well, well, to, to be? No, I, I, I don't think it's a good thing. I think strategically, I think those those individuals in the West, you know, who who think in terms of capturing markets, uh, I think they're very strategic in their thinking. I think one of the things about setting up basketball in Africa does one of two things. Um, it it it, uh, it creates a situation where con- conceivably you cre- you create um, you know athletes 
in Africa. They can come to America to play basketball and displace the Africans born in Africa in America to play basketball. And in in, in, that, in that regard, uh, make it cheaper in terms of employing you know African athletes you know from the continent. I think more importantly, I think what it does is what they seek to do strategically. I think what they what they want to do is to enhance the, the class stratification in Africa. So what happens is that in Africa, when you have that basketball programs and you're paying these guys big money in relative terms, what happens is that these guys stand out. So you create a class of individuals who are very, very wealthy. These individuals who play basketball, who become very, very wealthy, become the ambassadors for the Western way of life, which is good in terms mm-hmm. of dividing African society. Which, huh? I'm sorry. No, I was agreeing with you, brother. I was agreeing with you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 I, so I, so I think that one of the one of the dangers is that you know, you know, I mean, making the money is good. The visibility in terms of sports, you know, is good, you know, for the African continent. But of course, that's something that Africa on its own can unilaterally do. It doesn't need America in terms of establishing a a a, 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 a basketball you know program, you know, you know, for the for the, for you know for the continent or for the countries. But I think as far as America is concerned, there's no altruism. They're not doing it simply because they care about Africa or they come to care about the game of basketball. There are always political considerations when it comes to when they do things. This is why it's important that we, you know, we as a people, we think in terms of strategy and tactic. Because when we talk about capitalism, if you don't think in terms of strategy and tactic, they will deceive you. Because on the surface, it sounds good in terms of creating opportunity for individuals on the continent to play basketball and to get paid well. It sounds good. It's very seductive. But the bottom line is when you think of the essence in terms of what they're doing, given the fact that Africa, of course, could do that themselves, but when you think about the essence in terms of doing that and, and you talk about the ultimate re- impact in terms of the class stratification that's going to result of creating millionaires in Africa in the midst of all that po- so much poverty in Africa, uh, you know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't bode well for anybody. It doesn't serve anyone's interest in terms of creating that kind of scenario. Uh, one of the things I would like to see, if they really want to, you know, if they really want to uh, see um, Afri- basketball uh, increase in, in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of its viability, if they really want to see that increase, then bring. Well, why don't you why don't you bring African players here to play in the U.S.? How, well, how about that? I mean, how about that? I mean, you know, um, as you see, either way, if you brought them, to, if you brought Africans on the continent directly to the U.S. to play basketball. You're still going to pay money because you're not going to pay, for instance, Akeem Olajuwon, you know, or any of those or, 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 or brothers like that. You're not going to pay them, you know, more money than you pay. Uh, you, I mean, you're, certainly, you're not going to pay them more money than you pay people who are born in the U.S. You can pay them less money because of the subjective factor in terms of, well, you listen, you come from Africa, so therefore, you know, what we give you, you look like a king if you go back to Africa. So therefore, in terms of monetary terms, we're not going to pay you what we pay somebody who who lives and born in the United States. So I think if that's their motivation in terms of the monetary factor, then certainly if you you know if you want to increase the viability of basketball on the continent, then bring them here and let them play like these are European players. Bring them to the United States and let them compete on a professional level, and that visibility would would of course improve the viability of, of basketball on the continent. But I think their motivation is totally different. So this is the thing in terms of strategy and tactics. So I think we have to be very, very careful. When you do something on the surface that seems like it's charitable, understand there's always a motive behind it. We have to think in terms of strategy and tactics when we talk about capitalism. I'll close with that. And from Brother Hockey to Brother Anthony, your take on this phenomenon, Brother Anthony. Yes. 
I think I think there are two things going on here. One is uh, is uh, is uh, it it intensifies neocolonialism in Africa, and also intensifies the class struggle by 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 creating by intensifying the creation of a petty bourgeois element in these countries. And also, it, uh, it serves as a source of, ch- of uh, cheaper labor in terms of uh, basketball players coming to the U.S. to play because uh, they they but are paying more cheaply than uh, than Africans uh, you know born born and raised here. But I think I I I I I I see a danger in terms of this being used as another tool for uh, for exporting uh, 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 petty bourgeois values. Uh, to, uh, to 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 Africans on the continent. So I see this in in, in two ways. It, pro- it provides a sh- source uh, a source of labor, uh, and uh, but in the long term is very dangerous for Africa from a cultural and political standpoint. And this is because it um, because. Uh, as uh, you know, as the saying goes, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, philanthropy, philanthropy has underlying motivations, as uh, as uh, you know, we we observed, uh, we talked about in missing pages of history yesterday, and that is that. Uh, you know, it 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 buys influence in African society, and uh, Africa already has enough to deal with with all the, um, you know, with the uh, uh, you know missionaries and uh, foreign corporations operating in Africa. So this intensifies that further. And uh, if Africa was united and socialist, it could do that on its own in terms of developing basketball players. Now, granted, a lot of the states in Africa do not have the resources necessary to, uh, you know, to uh, develop uh, basketball any further than it already has without the uh uh the, the setup of an African league in Africa. But I think I, I think the, the, the you know it serves two purposes that I just laid out. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and to all my panelists, the last question for tonight for this particular program, sports, capitalism and race. I like each one of y'all to respond to this, this yeah. issue of the psychological war game that is going on. As as they say on the streets, while the capitalists getting paid, they, we are getting played. And we are getting played because they have created this industry they call sports announcers or sports pundits, where they give their take, they create scenarios on ball players, and solely use their narratives 
of what they are saying about these athletes as a tool to justify not giving the athletes the proper amount of money or value that they should give them based upon the actual performance. You know, they can, if, you know, if they say, well, you know, I don't think this ball player should get this because he have a tendency to do this, do that, or, you know, he got in trouble. But he, they create these talking heads to talk bad about the athletes, and the owners use that as a negotiation tool to not to give them that full value. I surely deal with these talking heads, particularly most, a lot of them are Africans who are participating in their own oppression, and they don't even realize it, or do they? Many of them uh, are being viewed as being sell out to our community. What is your response to them? Stop with you, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, you know what, Brother Africa? You know, I, you know, I personally, I, I, you know, I, I never understood. I certainly can't appreciate, you know, this notion in terms of sitting around and watching somebody give me an analysis on basketball and talk about basketball and basketball players. I I I I failed to find the utility in terms of sitting there listening to such such dribble. I mean, but some people they get off on that. But I think the central premise of your question is absolutely correct. I I I I think that um, you know you you got to give these owners you know the, you got to give them their respect. I mean, the bottom line is that they use these talking mouth these talking mouthpieces. They use them to essentially you know uh, as, as 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 a means to negotiate contracts of athletes based upon what these individuals say. And so when they come up in terms of discussions around contracts in terms of athletes' worth, then they simply can refer back to the the current understanding in terms of those athletes' you know, ability, what they bring to the team, uh, the potential, uh, or their potential in terms of how the life of you know, how long they would remain the team and so forth and so on. So clearly, I think Brother Africa served the interests of, of the owners. I mean, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of these announcers don't realize the platform that they have. And But more importantly, they don't even understand that when they negate or when they put their athletes for the sole purpose of entertainment, quote-unquote entertainment, that, you know, it serves the interests of the owners. So the owners can always use their analysis as a pretext to bargain down, you know, their contracts in terms of, in terms of adequately being compensated. So I, I agree with you, Brother Africa. I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but a lot of these guys, you know, that give them the limelight and they tend to pay them well just for talking. Uh, a lot of them are not even politically aware in terms of how they're being duped, how they're being used, you know, to, to, to disadvantage, you know, athletes, you know, who actually, who actually play the sport. And I close with that. And Brother Haki, another thing to this equation, most of these contracts they say these athletes getting, are illusion. Most of them are not guaranteed contracts, and they are just artificial money that they put out to the public to make you think they're making the money that they're making. And when you retire, you can see that. Because less than three years once after the football player retired, most of them end up being broke. They can't afford their own health care. So, you know, it's, um, you know, this whole narrative about ball players making all this money and this and that, that's illusion in and of itself. Thank you, brother. Yeah, that's, that, that, is, brother. That, that is interesting. That's one of the things. One of the things that these pundits, these so-called uh, sports experts, these sports analysis analysts, one of the things they put out, they put out the perception that these guys are making tons and tons of money, but they don't talk about the fact a lot of these things. These contracts are conditional. We talk about incentives, and talk about in terms of meeting certain milestones. Uh, you know, you don't. It is not like it just give you guarantee. Uh, you know, a guaranteed amount. 
very, very few of them actually guarantee amounts, and most of them incentives. And the bottom line is that you're right. Uh, the bottom line is that when you when you incorporate the expenses in terms of medical care after those guys retire, uh, you know, most of them end up broke after three years. So you're absolutely correct. So that's one of those misnomers uh, that these these uh, sports analysts uh, perpetuate, in which I don't know if they do that consciously or the industry expect them to do it. Or they just want to just want to do whatever it takes in terms of you know making the ownership happy to ensure their larger paycheck for themselves. I, I, I assume that it has to do in terms of opportunism, and they simply do it simply because by perpetuating the lie, people in positions of power will appreciate that and reward them with big contracts. So it's unfortunate, but I think that's the way it is. Come on, give me a break. Steve A. Smith getting ten to twelve million dollars a year. Just to talk about something that he knew nothing about, just by observation and looking at something. <laughs> Give me a break, brother. Anthony, talk to me. What should we do with these talking heads who undermine these ball players' value and money? And uh, some of them are former athletes. A lot of them aren't, um, you know, but. Uh, you know, you make uh, you make a good point, and uh, let's see. And I think, uh, you know, and and I think, uh, you know, I think that you you know you should do with them what you do with any other neo uh, neo colonialist. You know, you um, you uh, you know shut them down, but it but but it's hard uh, but it's hard to do that because. Uh, a lot of these sports owners have deep pockets, so they they can afford to pay, uh, you know, these so-called uh, analysts, uh, you know, these enormous sums of money uh, to just to just talk and uh, and speculate uh, 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 about sports. And uh, you know, and 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 uh, you know, and uh, the thing is, uh, you know, a lot of these cater the analysts and uh, as well as the, uh, the 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 sports themselves cater to a primarily European audience in the U.S. That is, and uh, and the thing about it, though, I mean, uh, you know, think about it. I mean, uh, I mean, you, uh, most uh, most of your audience are are Europeans that can afford to spend, uh, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of dollars, uh, you know, to follow every game. Most Africans aren't in a position to do that, and uh, so that's the uh, that uh, that's the marketplace. Primarily, and uh, you know, and and uh, I, I I think you're correct. Uh, the, uh, the, the 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 these analysts uh, play the roles of uh, you know uh, of uh, further suppressing uh, the wages uh, that these athletes could make, and it's another divide and conquer tactic. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Coming to you, Sister Eleanor, your thoughts? Uh, I think uh, the 
um, both Brother Haki and Brother Anthony have, have said it all in terms of the uh, uh, these commentators and these uh, now there is a uh, whole upshoot of uh, these sports shows and uh, uh, and and they've said it all. Some are former athletes, some aren't. But I would imagine the former athletes, uh, uh, because they came along without there being a union, and there is uh, with with inflation, you know, the numbers must seem so high to them, but they really aren't. These athletes, um, <clears throat> the the figure may sound large, but it's probably not even comparable to what Abdul Jabbar was making just in terms of, you know, the inflation versus the, the value of the dollar. So I I, I think that it, it talks to divide and conquer, but it also um, speaks to uh, the lack of um, uh, economic understanding because why would these athletes be these announcers? I, I I used to think it was because they had skill and it really you're right they talk so much about the person's side activities whether or not they have a foundation what they don't and so much personal business why are we not hearing about the owners and their lives or or the coaches or or other people that the other investors and their lives so it is just a a means of control and uh divide and conquer and it's almost like a tool over the athlete's head because somebody is um doing the pr for him his publicist assumably but um it's they have to be afraid that their name could be smeared, you know, in in the headlines to have unhappy fans in the bleachers. But it's another way of controlling labor. And to add to your point, yeah. Sister Eleanor, is another it's another extension or reflection of of of, of a slave system, a slave plantation. Just exactly. in a highly sophisticated form. But thank you, my sister. Let's go to Brother Brother Moses, see what he has to say. Brother Moses, your thoughts. I think everybody's covered it pretty good. Um, I just want to say, you know, that the sports thing is a part of the superstructure and, uh, you know, it's built upon an economic base, and and revolution will change the whole structure, the whole, the whole political economy. And uh, that's the bottom line. Thank you. And add to your point, Brother Moses, you're right. It's an industry that's based upon and geared towards entertainment. And with entertainment, we need to be distracted for the most important things that are affecting the lives of Africa and African people and the rest of the world. And we need to be conscious of it because they're using it to, um, as a tool to oppress us. So, brothers and sisters, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break. And when we come back, we're going to have our political panelists and analysts give us their final thoughts on this topic tonight, sports, capitalism, and racism. You'll listen to Africa on the Move. Uh, It's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. 
You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Oh, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, you know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Thank you.
second time today Everybody scatters And hopes it goes away How many kids they've murdered Only God can say
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. It's on the uh, 19th day of March 2023. And our theme tonight is sports, capitalism, and race. This has a matter on this particular day that was a very important victory for African and African people, where the French were defeated by the National Liberation Front of Algeria in 1962. That was after a eight years of war where over one million Africans lost their lives. The struggle continued. At this point in time, we're going to close out our program by going back to our political panelists and analysts and ask them to give us their final thoughts on the theme tonight, sports, capitalism, and race. We'll start with Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Well, it's been an interesting show. I think uh, the panelists have been up up on up on point in terms of this analyzing the sports commentators and the sports industry. Uh, I don't claim that to be my forte per se. Uh, I am interested. I think, you know, that, like we said, they are workers. They are being exploited. Um, a, 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 new, a new world is possible, and um, a new human being is possible. And we have to work towards that day when everybody is serving the people and, and seeing their interests in in each other and in society as a whole and um, working together for our betterment, free education, free health care, and a whole new human being. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses, we're going to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts for tonight, Sister Eleanor. Well, of course, I'd, I'd like to thank you so much for allowing me to, to participate in this evening's forum. <clears throat> and it was uh, coincidental that uh, this this uh, this evening is uh, the Cuban national team playing the U.S. in uh, a baseball team in, in Miami, Florida. And uh, sports is uh, the working class uh, is a great form of entertainment. And uh, uh, it is, um, I think everything that can be said has been said about it this evening. And uh, as Brother Moses said, with, with, with the revolution, with greater organizing and social change, we'll see a, a, a change in the sports industry. Clearly, the players are under underpaid, and this uh, single ownership, rather than being owned by the state, is bringing great wealth to the uh, owners and their partners and investors, while it's really exploiting the uh, uh, the audience or the consumer as well as the players. So as we see social change, 
in the United States as we see political change and revolution, we'll see a, a change uh, in the NBA and the other leagues. And racism uh, uh, prevails. Um, after we saw, the only time we saw interracial sports was with Jack Johnson, and there would be riots after his uh, fights, often race riots. Uh, the whites just would be outraged if he, when he won a fight. So uh, just thank you so much for allowing me to participate uh, this evening. Thank you uh, to my fellow analysts and to you, Brother Africa, and have a, a, a great week. And also, just a shout out to the uh, Africans yesterday that um, I met uh, at the White House and um, the wonderful information they brought uh, to my attention about the meaning of the name Burkina Faso, the name meaning upright people's land and... uh, uh, Thomas Sankora and and the wonderful my White House is in Black Harlem. That that it, it just was great to see um, other Africans other than just people from the U.S. standing up against the war in the Ukraine and realizing the impact it's having and what's happening in, 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 in the Congo right now. So thank you and good night, Brother Africa, and to our audience and my fellow analysts. Good night, everyone. Thank you, you Sister Eleanor, and good night to you. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight? Uh, just yeah, I just want to return to the case of Rasheem Carter uh, out of Mississippi. And interestingly enough, you know, this this case, he expressed concerns of to a threat to his life because uh, three different three pickup trucks were following him with the white males who were taunting him, uh, you know, threatening him, and also you know racial slurs. Now, interestingly, you know, in talking to his mother, she 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 he had informed his mother prior to going to the police station about what was happening. And she thought it would be a good idea for him to actually, you know, go to the police, you know, for assistance. But it's very, very interesting in terms of the police response to the young man who's very, very obviously very, very stressed, you know, as a result of, you know, being threatened and followed, you know, by these, by these, uh, by these uh, white males in these trucks. Now, initially, initially, you know, the, po- um, the police denied Rashin told them about the rest of his life. Now, Rash- now interestingly, Rashin's show- sole motivation for going to the police was the threat, right? Now, why would he not report the threat? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. So obviously, the the, the, the police account has to be uh, disingenuous because that makes no sense at all. Otherwise, why would he even go to the police precinct? I I uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, the police later did acknowledge that you know, you know that even though they initially said uh, he you know he didn't mention the threat, they they later recounted and said he did in fact mention there was a threat. It's very very very, very ironic. Secondly, I think, you know, in the Polish reports indicated out of fear, um, Rashid asked for a police escort to his place of lodging outside of 
of the location he was he was he was located in. Uh, and in post response were very interesting. Their response was that you know we're not a taxi service. Obviously, rendering you know rendering assistance was not priority you know for the police. Not so much as even putting him in a taxi. But aside from that, if in fact it was outside your jurisdiction and you didn't want to help him, you could have alerted the state police because the police had state police had statewide jurisdiction. And so why didn't you alert the state police in terms of, in terms of this problem? So it's very, very interesting to me, you know, uh, you know, when 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 they confronted him, the chief, the chief gave about, you know, why the inaction, why the um, the indifference in terms of the threats uh, that uh, Rashid received. Well, his response was that well, hey, simply, well, he really he reiterated, well, he lives outside of the jurisdiction. End of the discussion. Thirdly, the police initially denied Rashid filed a report, but stated later, uh, <clears throat> but later recanted that 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 statement. When the report was disclosed. Now, in an attempt to dismiss the importance of the report, the chief gauge stated, Rashi refused to press charges against his tormentors. That is a very interesting statement. Since he did not know his tormentors, tormentors pertaining to pertaining to their identity, I think I would be sort of impossible to do. I think it, uh, you know, not, beyond impossible, you simply it can simply can't be done. And so it's very very interesting, you know, that his analysis in terms of you know uh, his indifference toward this young man. With the fact that you know he didn't identify as tormentors, I, it, it sort of it sort of boggles the mind. But then finally, though, you know, one of the things I thought very interesting was though is that you know even though Rashid Abadi was dismembered, the lead investigating agency uh, in that state uh, who investigated the case stated that there was no foul play suspected. Now, you know, either this young man. Uh, uh, you know, just sort of um, deteriorated, you know, uh, because of factors unknown, or he butchered himself. The mere fact that there was no foul play suspected and his head was severed from his body, it doesn't make sense to me to make such a statement that there was no foul play suspected, other than to engage in a cover-up or to dismiss, you know, the concerns of Rashim Carter and the interests of the African community there in Mississippi. So clearly, Brother Africa, when we talk about fascism and talk about this, you know, in terms of the, the, the evolution of the, or the elevation of fascism in society, I certainly hope, I certainly hope, we, you know, more and more of us begin to understand and to understand and take this thing very seriously when we talk about the elevation of fascism in American society. But as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because one of the things is very, very clear. When we talk about the systematic decline of the capitalist economy, we, we can't underscore you know, the kind of viciousness that is going to ensue as a result of the decline. They're not going to go peacefully. They're going to take a lot of people with them. And as such, we have to be organized to meet any eventuality. Without the organization, the bottom line is that we're in trouble. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki and Brother Anthony. We come to you. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Anthony. Yes, my final thought for tonight is that uh, the only way we can overcome the problems we discussed tonight is through permanent organization, pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. To find out more about pan-Africanism, please visit our the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC's website www.a-aprp-gc.org for more information 
and information about our party. Thank you for having me. Good night. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your participation. We'd like to thank all of our listening audience for his support us for supporting this radio program, and we'd like to share with our listening audience. If you would like to become a member and join our membership fan club and a supporter, you can do that by emailing us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, you can make your charitable, charitable donation and contribution either by Cash App. And our Cash App address is capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Let me repeat that. It should be dollar sign first, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Or you can tell us at Africa on the move to at gmail.com. Your support is welcome, it's needed, and we have a lot of work to do. Come and support us. Spread the word. We would like to expand our listenership for the next six months or so to at least 100,000 more people. We need your help, so when you get a copy of this program, please share that with your network. If you need to get this link, you can email us, request the link, and we'll send it to you. So until next time, remember, you can hear Africa on the Move every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. We're in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. As we define it, we stand behind it. We want to give our people revolutionary information so they can use it as a tool to help liberate Africa and African people and all of humanity from the various forms of oppression. So like always, we'll continue to travel down the road liberation, we actually come and join us and we will always go we will always strive to go forward ever, backwards never. This is Brother Africa we'll see you next week. This has been Africa on the Moon. Know that 
sincero ¿De dónde crece la palma? Yo soy un hombre sincero ¿De dónde crece la palma? Y antes de morir me quiero Echar mis versos del alma
corazón, con sentimiento, con talento, violento, ojo, no con armas, sino con conocimiento, el intelecto emana de los foros, te metes en internet y lo ves en los foros, es sabiduría, aunque muchos locos piensen que son habladurías, pero que primero fondo la ciencia mía, para que después hablen como comadre, chismosa, yo te escribo en verso y en prosa, no soy Alice en el país de las maravillas, estamos claros, te portas mal, te acribillas, te hacen papillas, es que eso es obvio, o eres ángel o eres demonio, ni nino, o eres ángel o eres demonio, quiero ver a toda la gente con las manos arriba, ¿dónde están los latinos con las manos arriba? Que vive el hip hop con las manos arriba, ¿Qué? con las manos arriba, que viva la cultura con las manos arriba, el deporte con las manos arriba, Venezuela con las manos arriba, ¿Qué? Y lo que más me alegra, la gente latina siempre será gente negra.
Look how you up there. Yeah. How you up there.
Nobody cause confusion, cause corruption, cause oppression, cause inflation, then maybe cause oppression, cause confusion, cause corruption, cause inflation, cause oppression, cause confusion, cause inflation, cause oppression. Oppression, oppression, inflation, corruption, oppression, inflation. Them get one style way that they use. Them go pick one African man. A man with low mentality. Them go give you a million naira bread. To become a high position here. Him go grab some thousand naira bread. To become one you see let chief Like rat they do them go they do from corner corner pass the pass the young down the pass the pass the side the side the pass the pass the in in pass the pass the out the out pass the pass the pee pee pass the pass the in in pass the pass the corner corner pass the pass the young down the pass the pass the side the side pass the pass the Dernier de ma famille, évidemment que j'aime débrouiller. Je suis seul dans un appartement vide, j'ai pas de quoi me faire débrouiller. Je me tiens la tête devant mon poster, suis-je un imposteur Dois changer de posture, j'hésite. Dois changer de couleur, ou me laisser couler, ou prendre la couleur, j'hésite. Tomber bien bas, dès qu'elle descend, dois lui donner la mort, n'a pas en descente. Tout ce que je fais n'a aucun sens, qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire, car c'est sans idée. C'est sans visu, je comptais pensionner, j'espère que ça pourrait être honnête, oui je suis honnête J'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs, les sûr j'ai cassé, j'essaie de rattraper le temps J'ai foncé dans le mur me croyant ainsi, j'ai oublié qu'il était embêtant Là je suis complexé, t'as vu À la longue ça devient embêtant Je me sens embêté pour pression Je me sens obligé d'oser le temps Mets dans la cocotte minou Car je dépense tout dans le loto Je me rangeais son à chaque minute J'ai pas de faire arriver de l'eau Je suis seul dans ma course, le temps passe le bout Oui c'est vrai Je suis seul dans ma course, je l'avoue Tomber bien bas, les cahiers descendent Dois-je nous donner la mort, n'a pas en descente Tout ce que je fais n'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire, car c'est sans idée c'est sans visu, je crois bien pensionné, qu'est-ce que ça pourrait être honnête Oui je suis honnête J'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs, les sûr j'ai gâté, j'essaie de rattraper le temps J'ai foncé dans le mur me croyant, ainsi j'ai oublié qu'il était embêtant Je suis complexé, t'as vu À la longue ça devient embêtant Je me sens embêté sous pression Je me sens obligé d'oser le temps Je 
gâchée, j'étais de rattrapissant. J'ai foncé dans le mur en me croyant belle, et je priais qu'il était embêtant. Et je complexais ta vue, à la longue ça devient embêtant. Je me sens empêché de pression, je me sens obligé d'oser le temps.
Que la rage, que mes propos 
You're an African 